You want to go ahead and read the thing? I do. I do. All right. For weeks, the news media had been hammering home a single point, as chicken little an argument as you could get. The sky was falling. Specifically, the Skylab was falling, and NASA couldn't guarantee where it would come down. Their best scientists put the craft at a trajectory that would dump it into the Indian Ocean, but the slightest miscalculation or unexpected wind shear could result in catastrophe, a man-made meteor striking an inhabited location. What finally happened when Skylab made its last descent was a great insight into basic human nature, both distressingly fearful and hilariously witty. So in this episode of Relative Disasters, the fiery fall of Skylab in 1979. Nice. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my sister and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events, their context, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Greg, Chief Executive of Orbital Decay here at Relative Disasters Incorporated. And I'm his sister, Ella, Chair of the Space Junk Safety Program here at Relative <laughs> Disasters University. That's a real title. It's a big promotion for me. It's, Don't make fun it's of it's a it. big deal. No, that's a big deal because I Space Junk is a big deal. I have a new uniform and a new chair and a new helmet and everything. <laughs> okay. All right. So, we Earthlings have lived so long with a human presence in space that it's kind of become something of a background fact in everyday life. We just kind of know that there are astronauts up on the International Space Station doing whatever it is those astronauts do. Science! And it does, science! And it doesn't really register to us how amazing it is that we have managed to inhabit the literally uninhabitable. Like, human innovation is cool, that's all I'm saying. Okay, so the first space station that NASA put into orbit was called Skylab. Such a great uh, name. It's a great name, and it's very evocative, and it's very descriptive. Mm -hmm. uh, Skylab was launched on a modified Saturn V rocket in 1973 and held its orbit around our planet for the next six years. During its time in space, it hosted three crewed science missions. Uh, that's crewed as in people were on them, not crewed as in, like, not sophisticated. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> terrible. They just Real launched rocks. Science. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, those missions were called Skylab 2, 3, and 4. Uh, Skylab 1 was uh, launching the thing into orbit, and Skylab 5 was planned and canceled. Uh, and also, in the event of an emergency, they had a rescue mission that could go up and evacuate the station if they needed Ooh, to. Ooh, we love a yeah. rescue mission. They had, like, a, you know, people standing by with a specialized craft. It, it, was, uh, it only took two people to fly it up, but it could carry five people back down. Nice. So, very cool. And since all these missions were three-person missions, yeah, that would have worked. Uh, let's see. So well in orbit, the folks on Skylab ran nearly a hundred experiments. Can I read you a list of some of my favorites? Uh, can you read me the weird ones? Um, the or are problem they all is weird? that most of them. Well, most <laughs> of them are like things that you would kind of expect. Like, well, how do plants grow in space? They figured out how liquid reacts in zero gravity. Which okay. helps us a lot with the modern International Space Station. Mm -hmm. They figured out how flammability works in zero gravity. Ooh, which exciting. Is terrifying and exciting. Uh, the effects on the human body of living in space, like how mm. our blood works, how we sleep, and what happens to our bone density. Mm. Uh, spoilers, it's not great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and my personal favorite is they did an experiment of how spiders spin webs in zero gravity. 
I that and is what I'm looking for. That is what I want out of such my cool taxpayer-funded Skylabs. No, no, no. You don't understand how cool this is. <laughs> what do they look like? They're, dear listeners, go Google them because it is worth seeing for yourself. Uh, my my description of it can't do it justice. They're very cool, and uh, the spiders that um, went up came back down. So yay, zero oh, fatalities good. for spiders. Uh, they also... That's strangely comforting. <laughs> right? Uh, the people of Skylab also took a huge amount of telescopic photographs, which detailed a lot about what we know now about the inner solar system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very cool. So the three tours of duty ran different lengths. Skylab 2 ran for 28 days. Skylab 3 ran for 59. And Skylab 4 ran for 84 days. And let me just uh, ask you for a little clarification. These are, sure. this is a completely American program, right? Yes. Not like Skylab was entirely run by NASA. Exactly. Interesting. So everyone who went up was, yeah. Okay. Yep. Just Americans. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So the initial predictions for how long Skylab would stay in orbit were dependent on a number of factors, but they were reasonably confident that the initial launch would give it nine years in orbit. See. I, I know. And then sometime in 1983, its orbit would decay enough to cause it to re-enter the atmosphere. Mm. So before that happened, NASA wanted to use the first space shuttle to give it a boost, which would push it up a little bit more and give it another five years or so after that. And after that, maybe another shuttle boost, maybe allow it to decay and break up in the atmosphere and send up a newer, better station. They'd cross that bridge when they got there. I'm sorry. That was the plan? (laughs) That was the plan. They're like, we think that by then we'll have the technology to do this. Oh, science. So now we've got to talk about the solar magnetic activity cycle. Yeah. So the solar magnetic activity cycle, which I like to abbreviate as SMAC. uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. Is that the official abbreviation? It's mine. (laughs) Congratulations. Uh, That's awesome. So SMAC is an approximately 11 year cycle of predictable solar activity. Mm -hmm. Um, And these things can be fairly dramatic. The magnetic field of the sun flips okay the sun shoots out a ton of solar material and we get sunspots and solar flares huge amounts of radiation and heat coronal loops those Mm -hmm. literal fire wheels snapping out of the sun this is cool stuff um now one of the major effects on the planet on which we happen to reside is that all of this stuff heats up the outer layers of our atmosphere And more heat in the outer atmosphere means that orbiting bodies, especially relatively large orbiting bodies like, say, Skylab, uh, get grabbed by Earth's gravity a little bit more. Hmm. So a British mathematician predicted that Skylab was going to fall in 1979, well short of the 1983 time frame that NASA thought they had. Mm -hmm. And he was right. By 1977, it was clear that, that Skylab could not sustain its orbit. So NASA, they're creative people. They don't like to they don't like to lose. They don't like to have unsolved problems. They had some brainstorming sessions. The initial plan of boosting the station with the space shuttle had to be abandoned because that shuttle wouldn't actually launch until 1981. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that does yeah, throw up. That doesn't work. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, they batted around the ideas of sending up uncrewed rockets to try to push it up to buy a little more time, or even shoot the station down with missiles. Um, they finally settled on the approach that I like to call the whelp approach, uh, which was just, you know what, allow it to re-enter the atmosphere, aim it as best they could at the water, and hope nobody got hurt. 
Oh boy. Yep. Are now are people still on board at this point? No, not when the orbit decayed. Everybody okay. was evacuated, and uh, the fifth mission wasn't allowed to go up. And everybody survived their time on Skylab, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody did great on Skylab. The experiments, for the most part, worked out really, really well. Uh, in fact, one of the cool factoids that I found out while doing the research on this is that mm-hmm. some of the experiments, uh, they thought they would have more room on the inside of Skylab. But mm-hmm. since they were, like, solar-based experiments, they literally just ran them on the outside of the station. Okay. Super cool. So, knowing that Skylab was going to come crashing down to Earth in, you know, a fiery blaze, uh, it became something of a circus. Uh, yeah. Vegas, Vegas took bets on where it would land and how many people it would oh, injure God. or kill. Oh, God. Come on. Yep. That was great. Uh, the San Francisco Examiner newspaper offered a $10,000 prize for the first person to show up at their office with a piece of debris from the station. Oh, the first person. Uh, okay. The first person. Just the first. Second person gets nothing. <laughs> uh, there, there was a product that was sold uh, and came in spray cans. It was called Skylab Repellent. It had a money-back guarantee. Okay. <laughs> So basically what wound up happening was exactly what you would expect from the human race. When we face a crisis as a people, half Mm -hmm. the world panicked and the other half laughed and tried to make a quick buck. NASA understood the risks. An internal report estimated a 1 in 152 chance of debris striking a person, but a whopping 1 in 7 chance that major debris would damage a densely populated city. Uh, the, The State Department started gearing itself up for a major international incident... Right, because they uh, can't even predict, like, what continent it's going to come down on. No. Like, if this is the level of, oh, we thought we had four years. Yeah. But I guess it's coming down next weekend. Yeah, it wasn't quite that. They had about two years of lead-in to, to know it was going to come down and know that they couldn't stop it. And it's not like they just let it fall where it may. They had ground control. Mm-hmm. And ground control could sort of aim it. Up until it hits the atmosphere, in which case it's going to start breaking up and it's going to be accelerating and the things that they use to steer it in space will no longer function. Okay. Um, and the State Department gearing itself up for a major international incident, that was not without cause. Uh, the year before, in 1978, the Russian nuclear-powered satellite Cosmos 954 had mm-hmm. malfunctioned and spread radioactive debris over northern Canada. Not uh, cool, Russia. Not great. Not leading cool. to an extensive multi-year cleanup effort and very chilly relations between the USSR and Canada. Uh, <laughs> Canada sent them a $6 million bill for the cleanup. Yeah, they and did. And the USSR eventually <laughs> paid around $3 million of it. it. It was a mess. It was a mess. Uh, yeah. It was a diplomatic mess, and it was an environmental mess. Of course. Uh, the biggest fear was that despite the best mm-hmm. efforts of the ground controllers... Skylab would break up too soon and kill a whole bunch of people. It was estimated that the film vault itself, where all the film that they've been taking of the planets and the stars and everything else, mm-hmm. that was that was a solid block of lead, basically. Right, because of the and radiation. That would be, yeah, exactly. And that would be going over 400 feet per second on impact. Okay. So, Yeah. Did you do any looking into uh, how likely you are to be killed by space debris? You know me and how neurotic I am. I've always, I don't like, okay, so I live in a city and I don't like walking along and I have this fear of 
defenestration, which is right. something dropping on you from a window high above well, de- you. Isn't defenestration the fear, like, that's the act of you being thrown out a window. I thought it was something being dropped on you from a window. I know defenestration is being thrown out a window. That much I know. So maybe, maybe it can apply to both situations. Well, if you get thrown out a window, you're going to fall, you know? Uh, yes, absolutely. So if you're standing under the person who's being defenestrated, <laughs> does that count as a defenestration injury? Uh, it must, yes. It, it was an to. injury sustained in the act of defenestration. You know what, Greg? I'm going to stand by this and say that I'm very afraid of defenestration. I, I um, think you should be. Absolutely. Nobody wants to be tiles out off yep. roofs. Slate tiles uh, off roofs are real bad. Air conditioning units being uh, dropped on my head. Bits of things falling off of or out of airplanes. Yeah, you That's always read about, like, the ice that comes off of airplanes. Yep. and or, or toilet pieces. <laughs> yes. Toilet pieces are a fear of mine. Do we need to go through all these? I'm get, making myself more and more nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I don't ever leave my house. There you go. Uh, there you that's go. not true. I, I kind of manage my fears, but it is something I think about, I think, more than the average person does. Okay. Uh, so when you floated this idea for an episode, I kind of started thinking about how likely are you to be killed by something falling, not from like three stories up, but from outer space. Yeah. What did you it find? It is, well, you know, it's... <laughs> Okay, it's distressing, but it's also sure. uh, a little bit reassuring. The chances okay. of being hit by a meteorite or a piece of space junk is very small. Okay. Um, there are claims and reports that people have been hit by meteorites. Most yeah. of those claims are not actually, like, provable. Okay, okay. Have you ever heard the thing of where people fire guns up into the air and then five miles away the bullet comes down and hits someone on the head? I, yeah. It actually does happen. Okay, okay. You're more likely to be hit by a bullet that somebody fired up into the air miles and miles away than you are to be hit by a meteorite. Okay, that's reassuring. There was a woman in Alabama who was hit. She was lying on her couch. God, this poor woman. This is what (laughs) I'm afraid of. She's lying on her couch watching TV. A meteorite crashes through her roof and lands on her. Oh, God. Um, But it's... You know, for some reason, it just didn't have enough velocity to really hurt her. She got bruised all over. She probably got burned a little bit, too. And then she had a great story. Wow. Uh, yeah. Jeez. Okay. So, I mean, overall, there's no record of anybody being killed by a meteorite. Really? Although... That's actually more surprising, <laughs> that, that there's no record of anybody being killed? Okay. Okay, well... Asterisk, because in 2016, a meteorite crashed into an engineering college campus in India. It left a crater five feet deep, and the explosion injured three people and killed a bus driver, a 40-year-old bus driver. Although it's debatable if the meteorite itself was his cause of death or if he died of shock or heart attack related to the impact. Right, which would be extremely understandable. This, again, is what I'm afraid of. There you are, minding your own business, driving a bus. And then meteorite. And then meteorite. Okay, the actual odds. (laughs) Yeah, go into the odds. Okay, so we know there's a lot of space junk up there. Yes, there's too much space junk up there, in fact. NASA tracks them, so there's... Right now they're tracking something like half a million... Yep, objects rotating. Yeah. Right, rotating in orbit around the Earth. The odds that any of... 
the people on Earth, and there are what seven billion, seven and a half billion ish, ish, will yep. be struck is one in three thousand two hundred, which sounds high. Okay, okay, but but you most know. of those uh, pieces that are falling down, that are falling out of orbit, and yep. uh, going through the atmosphere, are tiny. Yeah, and they'll burn up. And they burn up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so my odds, me mm. as an individual person, uh, the odds that I will personally be hit by a piece of space junk is one in several trillion. Okay. You're more likely to be hit by lightning. You are several okay. million times more likely to be hit by lightning. Cool. And you cool, know I cool, wear cool. a tinfoil hat at all times, so I'm not <laughs> likely to be hit by anything. So the number I have for you is the annual risk of a single person to be severely injured by a re-entering piece of space debris is about one in 100 billion. That's a direct quote from the head of the ESA's Orbital Debris Office. That's the European Space Agency. Got it. Got it. That's Uh, cool. And I believe him. His last name is Klinkrad. Dr. Klinkrad. Okay. Yes. All right. That's what I got for you. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Um, it's interesting that you brought up India because I was actually going to pivot to India next. India um, has a great space program. Did you know that? I did. India has a really, really good space program. They are poised to go to Mars within the next few decades. And something that came up during this research was about the city of Karimnagar, which mm-hmm. I am sure I am mispronouncing. Karimnagar, maybe? I don't know. But it's a city in India. And when the... Global news media started to report that Skylab was going to fall. This was one of the cities where fears led to panic. People began to sell their property and flee the city. Oh, dear. Uh, Some people, it it sort of became embedded in the public consciousness that Skylab was going to crash right down on their city. Mm -hmm. People buried their wealth in their wells. Mm. And some people who were so sure that they were about to die spent all their money in retirement savings, you know, and when Skylab finally did fall, it didn't land anywhere near Karim Nagar. Okay. So, but a lot of people kind of financially ruined their lives by, like, selling off land that they'd had in their families for generations or selling mm-hmm. off their house and all their property and running for the hills, and then nothing happened, so... Yikes. Mm. All right, so at about 4 p.m. UTC, that is Coordinated Universal Time. Is that what which, they use on spacecraft? Yep, which cool. I just learned, and that sounds cool. Uh, Skylab re-entered the Earth's atmosphere. This is June 12th. Burn-up did not happen as quickly as NASA thought it would. So <laughs> NASA is just guessing at this point. NASA, NASA does not come out. I don't believe any of out, their guesses. Right? It's not great. <laughs> Because of that, most of the chunks of the station did land in, in the water, mm-hmm. but a huge swath of debris made landfall in Western Australia. And this is the part of the story that I absolutely love. Nobody was injured and nobody died. Although, a town in Australia, whose name I am also going to mispronounce, so uh, uh, apologies in advance to our, our Australian dear listeners, mm-hmm. Esperance? Esperance? I don't know. Uh, but this town did issue NASA a $400 fine for littering. I mean. Which I just love. <laughs> they probably saw that Canada got away with their bill to the Russians. <laughs> yeah, that's true, I guess. 
I hope they paid it. Did no, it actually, fine? NASA never paid that fine. Um, NASA? The fine, well, here's the thing. The fine was written off three months later. Uh-huh. It, it, it seems like it was mostly made in jest, you know, not, not to take it seriously. Uh, but in 2009, a California radio show mm-hmm. raised the money and paid the fine anyway. What exactly fell on Esperance? Space debris and a lot of it, like chunks of Skylab. Okay. They actually, okay, so the Miss Universe pageant was actually held in Australia that year. I'm and sorry. And apparently up on the pageant stage, they had pieces of Skylab. No. So, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? All right, so. Oh, my God. I love I love aspects of this story. I love that it still kind of turned out mostly okay. I mean, God, that's it. Lord. Skylab, it went up, it came back down, and nobody died. That's a great disaster. I just don't know how I feel about uh, being in Western Australia and watching space junk fall all around me. Oh, um, speaking of which. Did uh, they the have person... any kind of warning? Oh, yeah, they had tons of warning. Remember, okay. NASA was like tracking the thing and and it's, NASA had and no idea is, where it was going though well they had no idea where it was going until it started going there yeah but <laughs> the so two things happened all right two things happened okay. one that part of western australia is fairly loosely populated so mm-hmm. it wasn't there there was already less less of a chance of it striking and killing people for the simple fact of there weren't as many people there okay um thing number two the American president at the time, Jimmy Carter, literally was like calling people's businesses and houses to personally apologize. Like calling people in Australia. Yes. So this random guy in Australia would get a call from Jimmy Carter. Yes. Oh. Yes. And that, also <laughs> Was that received well? <laughs> it was it was received well, actually. There's uh okay. there is a hotel in that area that uh, still has like a little museum mm-hmm. of Skylab pieces, and uh, they have a little write up of of what happened when Jimmy Carter called them and was like, "Hey, sorry about my satellite." <laughs> um, but you know, it's it reminds me of those you know, like the, the the kids hit the baseball and it goes and breaks the guy's window, and you know, they're like, "Mister, can we have our ball back?" I don't know. Anyway, um, uh, question for you. Did anyone collect on that prize? I was just about to get to that. Yes. I just remembered there was money at stake here. <laughs> exactly. Um, one of the, uh, a kid living in that area of Australia uh-huh. gathered up 23 pieces of debris. A businessman in Pennsylvania paid his and his whole family's airfare mm-hmm. and flew him to San Francisco where he walked into the offices of the examiner with all the stuff and got his, uh, got his reward money. Yay. So, yeah, a kid got, you know, 10 grand for collecting junk out of his yard. Not bad. Not bad. We love it when a publicity stunt actually pays up. Yes. Yes. I like it when a publicity stunt is actually, like, decent. Mm -hmm. So that's it. That's the story of of the fall of Skylab. And obviously there's so much more we could go into on this, but it's just such an interesting... You can't really call it, like, a... uh, I don't know where I was going with that. I was almost going to say, like, you can't really call it a failure on the part of NASA because, like, Skylab was actually extremely successful, but the falling part was definitely a failure on the part of NASA. Yeah. If huge chunks of a satellite had actually landed on a huge city in India. Yeah, no, this would be a a huge disaster, absolutely. This would be a 
enormous disaster. Okay. And and interestingly enough, uh, the failure of Skylab is one of the things that pushed NASA to uh, work in concert with other countries at the International Space Station. Because, for one thing, it was a <laughs> heck of a lot less expensive to spread that cost out. And for another, they were willing to, to partner with other people who had different ideas. And I think that's, that's sure. admirable. Yeah. So, good job, NASA. Sort of. Uh, NASA, I'm going to actually give you a B minus on this because. Uh, B minus C plus area. <laughs> the, the lab part of it went really great. We got a lot of science that the like, was absolutely genius. vital to modern space exploration. Mm-hmm. But. You need to have a good conclusion. This was, yep. Yep. You know, yep. crashing your satellite onto the Miss Universe convention is great. <laughs> But we do not uh, love the risk of injury there. So, like, a, a couple of the Miss Universe contestants, apparently, also, like, went out for publicity photos with the debris. Yeah, they did. Um, and, and just got <laughs> eaten alive by, like, Australian mosquitoes and biting <laughs> bugs. And, like, it was just the worst experience, apparently. Anyway. Oh, my God. So that's it. That's Skylab. That is extremely weird thank you it's it's a fantastic little story i love aren't, it aren't you glad that we live in times where an engineering mistake like that could never happen good night everybody I'm just putting another layer of tinfoil <laughs> onto my helmet just in case yep that's a good call that's a good call <laughs> that was truly wild thank you yeah it's a cool little story Although we gave you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact-check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com, or if you'd like to shame us publicly, why not use our Instagram at relative.disasters. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion. And uh, please join us next time where we're going to do something a little different. Uh, Do you want to talk about what we're going to do, Ella? Sure. Uh, It's our birthday. Happy birthday. It is. Happy birthday, (laughs) podcast. Happy birthday, little podcast. Uh, We've been doing this for a year now. Oh, my gosh. Well, this year has not flown by, but this podcast has definitely helped pass the time. Reading yes. about far worse Agreed. things than the year 2021 has been kind of a comfort, I have to say. I, I mean, some of them weren't. In a bleak way. <laughs> um, so next week, we'd just like to uh, wrap up the year and yeah. put an end to our first season by opening the table for a discussion. If you would like to send us an email with a disaster that you want us to cover in season two, um, yep. if you have any feedback on where we're going or what you'd like to see or if if there were things you liked or things that you didn't like or questions that you have or topics that we didn't have time to get into yeah or even if you can offer clarity or tell us where our perspective might be a little skewed absolutely absolutely that would be super helpful uh you can send us an email uh relative dot disasters at gmail.com Yep. You can also reach out on Instagram. We love our Instagrammers, and we're very <laughs> grateful for all 32 people <laughs> who follow us. Hey, hey, that's 32 more followers than we had a year ago. And we just want to say thank you for being such a great audience. Absolutely. Your encouragement and support has really turned this from a, kind of a weird idea yeah. 
a fun way to kind of force us to have to talk to each other once a week. Okay, but there are times when you're wrong, Greg. <laughs> there are times when you're wrong. And as your sister, I need to point those out in it's order true. to make you a better person. And as an older sibling, you absolutely have that right, and, nay, duty to point duty. them out every time. I will lose my older siblingship if you I do not the, shame the you at every possible <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Every possible opportunity. Uh, anyway. Uh, so, dear listeners, if you have been thinking you might like to write in, now is the time. Yeah. We will be maybe, I don't know, looking at emails. We'll be talking about some of our highlights and lowlights from the past year. I already yeah. have a list of stuff I wish I'd done differently and a list of stuff that uh, I thought we did pretty well. I have a list of weird research things that weren't able to make it into an episode. Oh my god, and, uh... so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> As our dear listeners know, we did an entire episode on the stuff that we couldn't fit into Gregor McGregor. So, you know, join us for more of this wonderful content. Uh, I would also like to get into why we had to record The Conqueror three times. Oh my god, The worst episode we have. That was our own disaster. (laughs) And we had to do it three times. Oh my god. Painful, the things we do. But yeah, so we thought we'd just have like a small episode next week to kind of wrap up for the season. Yeah, uh, and we want you to be part of it, so join us. It's going to be fun. We uh, enjoy you all, and we're very, very happy and fortunate to have you listening. And very grateful that you are listening because, you know, this really did just kind of start out as as a way for my sister and I to connect during the the height of the pandemic and having it turn into something that's listened to in like, what, 30 something countries by uh, well over a couple hundred people at this point and over 10,000 times like blows my mind. When we started, I was sure that our parents would be our only audience. Um, (laughs) Now our parents no longer listen because they find the show disturbing. It's true. (laughs) Well, no, it's overwhelming. It's too much content. They can't keep up with an episode a week. Come on, man. (laughs) Although it hasn't actually been an episode a week because like this will be this is our 40th episode and there's 52 weeks in a year. So we do take some time off. Okay, that's another thing we need to discuss is what our schedule is going to look like <laughs> next year. Hopefully we can get it a little more regular and uh, have like an actual publishing day that we hit most of the time. Sure. But keep in mind also that we make absolutely no money off of this podcast. Like That's another thing we got to talk about. It doesn't get monetized. Yeah. It doesn't, like, we don't sell ads. Dear listener, would you stop listening if we sold ads? Yeah. Would you like us to advertise for your products? Do you sell Bill's uh, Skylab repellent? <laughs> Guaranteed to work. Do you know what that made me think of is the Bigfoot oh, the, repellent? The yes. Yeti repellent that yep, mom got Bigfoot us? Bigfoot and Yeti repellent? Yeah. That stuff's excellent. I use it all the time. Every time I hike, I use it. I've never seen a Bigfoot. Well, so. anytime, anytime I see Bigfoot, I just am like, hey, bud, you know, I got the can. You got to back up. <laughs> it's like bear. He's spray. very respectful. <laughs> well, he's very respectful of social distancing. I mean. Bigfoot knows what's up. Yeah. He's safety oriented. Well, we're going to talk about some uh, some Yeti next year, aren't we? Uh, you know, we have so many ideas for next year. Um, oh my god, there's there's too almost too many. We didn't think we'd have like the, the material for like twenty episodes, and now we're yeah like, we're like so backed up on the list. It's so we're going to toss out some potentials next time and discuss why we may oh, or sure. may not do them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or do them as like mini episodes, kind of like this one. Mm, I like it. All right. So hey, join us next week. Uh, when we're going to wrap up the year and we'll have some virtual birthday cake, we'll have virtual cocktails. We're going to rely on you to blow out the candles because those are fire hazards. (laughs) We don't deal with fire in any form whatsoever. So dear listeners, uh, hopefully we will join you guys next week. 
and we can't wait to talk about the whole year uh, with you.